Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a guy named Alex Cuzo. Now, Alex is a captain up in Duluth, Minnesota. He owns Angler Management Fishing Charters, and I got to go and spend a full day with him uh, on a bachelor party, actually, with my dad, with my brother, brother brother-in-law, and my nephew. And so we're going to dive into what Alex is all about, what got him into fishing, and we're going to recap the stories that we experienced that day out on Lake Superior. So I'm really excited about this one. Let's jump in. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, so I am constantly getting asked about the gear that I'm using, and the great news is that I've got it all listed out on Go Wild. Now, if you listen carefully, I'm going to tell you how you can get a $10 gift card to use toward picking up some new gear. Go Wild is a free social community where your photos aren't censored. They're actually encouraged, so much so that Go Wild will give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. Now, as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards and free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Also, check this out. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a guy named Alex Cuzo. And he and I met because we actually booked him for a bachelor party for my dad. We went fishing up on Lake Superior. Super excited to do it. Had never done that before. And Alex... Uh, is the owner and operator of Angler Management up in Duluth. And so that's how we got connected. And it's kind of fun when you're out on a boat with people, you've got a captive audience. And so he and I were just going back and forth, sharing different deer and elk hunting stories. Uh, He was telling me all about fishing, obviously, with that being something I had never done, trolling for trout and salmon and walleye on a big lake. I had a lot of questions. But Alex, thanks for hopping on the show with me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I know I covered a little bit about it, but would you mind informing the listeners a little bit more about yourself, kind of what you what you do, and then also what you're into in the outdoor space? Uh, yeah, so you know I'm a captain. I uh, own Angler Management uh, Duluth. I own a 31 foot Tierra. We do trolling on Lake Superior. I started. Uh, I started fishing on Lake Superior probably 10, 15 years ago on my own. Uh, you know, obviously when I was a kid, my dad would bring me on some charters and I had some friends' dads that had big boats that would uh, fish the big lake. So I've just been around it my whole life. And, uh, you know, I kind of got uh, sick of my job one day, decided to try to start guiding on the side and phone kept ringing and just kept, uh, kept guiding. And now that's what I do full time. So this is my fourth year guiding out there. And, uh, you know, we troll for, Lake Superior or Lake Superior fish. Yeah, that's awesome. I 
I'd never done that type of fishing before. I mean, I, I guess we did tr some trolling in Alaska one time when I went, but for the most part, you know, I'm actively casting and doing that. And so one hesitation I had with it going into it was like, man, am I going to enjoy like not doing the work of like stringing everything up and casting and, and I, I really didn't know what to expect. And then when I got out there, I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever because we're cruising, watching lines, not really having to worry about a whole lot. I mean, you're taking care of everything for us. And then all of a sudden you're like, dude, somebody grab that pole. There's a fish on. And then yep. we do and reel it in. And I was like, man, I don't have to deal with any of the headache that I normally have to going fishing, especially like fishing with my kids or something. Um, I just get to sit back and, and reap the benefits and reel in fish. It was awesome. It's definitely like a sit and like set lines and forget until something happens type of deal. So I get a lot of people surprised about that. You know, I get a lot of families and, you know, wives and kids that are even worried, like call me that say, Hey, I'm not fishing, but you know, my husband wants to go fishing. And I don't think they realize it's not an active type of fishing. We, we set lines, drive around, talk and, you know, BS until uh, something happens. And when something happens, it's really exciting. So it goes from zero to a hundred, back to zero, back to a hundred back to zero i mean it's just kind of like a surprise factor with it it's uh you know people people are really surprised when they actually come on and you know sometimes i see it on their face like oh you mean we just sit there and watch stuff and then you know all of a sudden it takes a bite to just get people really active and they get really excited and they 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 get really get into it well just i mean just the spectator sport of it where i was sitting there and just watching everything that you did and all the different tools that you had to get the lines spread out, to get them set at the right depths. That alone was amazing to me. And then on top of that, you're like, Oh, Hey, the water temperature is this today. This is what, this is the depth we're going to be fishing, finding out why you fish certain lures at certain depths. Um, I don't know. I, I love taking in information like that, watching somebody else do a craft that they've really perfected. It seems like, and getting to hang out with you for the day and pick your brain on all of that stuff. Uh, that was definitely a treat. And then, yeah, like you said, once something hits, oh man, it was just like, everybody's yelling at the person who's closest to it, like bottom pole, bottom pole. And they're like reaching <laughs> for the second to the bottom pole. And you're like, no, the bottom one. And it was, <laughs> it was like a moment of chaos. And then all of a sudden we're all just cheering as they reel in a fish. Exactly. And getting that fish in the net, everybody's hooting and hollering. And, you know, even if you lose something, it's just, you know, give the guy crap, you know, whether he did something wrong or not, <laughs> yeah. he obviously did something wrong. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it was just a perfect atmosphere for like a bachelor party. I mean, it was my dad's bachelor party, not like a normal college age person that I would, that I would uh, do one for, but he's just a super laid back dude and absolutely loves fishing. And as I was thinking about it, I'm like, this is the perfect like bachelor party trip. You can all just hang out, have a good time. Like you said, give each other crap. If somebody misses a fish or does something wrong. Um, but then everybody celebrates and you go back with a bunch of fresh fish and awesome stories. And so, uh, I would highly recommend that to anybody, any type of group setting. I feel like you could go out and have the best time of your life, just cruising Absolutely. around, chilling on a boat. Absolutely. And we do these bachelor parties all the time. So, you know, I can have up to six people on my boat, uh, you know, and that's just Minnesota Coast Guard rules for, you know, a charter, basic charter uh, on Lake Superior. And then I'm a part of a, you know, Liftbridge Charter Association where we collaborate with, uh, you know, it's a total of seven boats, including me. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, we've accommodated parties up to 42 people and, you know, we all kind of share the same dock space. We have, you know, you might be separated on a different boats, but we all start and end at the same time and kind of get a little competitive nature going on. And, you know, we, we really do a good job at, uh, you know, providing a good time of groups, to, uh, you know, of all sizes. Man, that was, that's so cool. Like the association that you're a part of being able to communicate with those other guys. And when one of you is, is hitting on a certain lure or at a certain depth, uh, communicating with each other and just really helping each other out. I love the community side of hunting and fishing and all outdoor recreational activities. And so when I hear people that are com competing with one another in a way, but also helping each other out to find the most success possible, that's really, really cool to hear. Absolutely. And that's the nice thing about the, the association that we have. And I, I get along with pretty much everybody on the, on the lake, but we have a tight knit, you know, group that, you know, we created the association with and by all the same goal, you know, we want to provide our customers a, a good time and keeping that information on lock, kind of like the old timer mentality. I mean, it, it really doesn't do anything. It's not going to make that person want to, you know, book with somebody else that day. Cause I mean, a fishing kind of sucks for everybody. I mean, it usually sucks for everybody. And efficient is good for everybody usually we can work together to kind of get people that might be lacking that day to you know make something happen i mean sometimes that group chat has saved the trip for me yeah that's that's so cool to hear man because i know i know a lot of places you know you you don't want to give away your fishing spots you don't want to say what they're hitting on um because you know you're trying to catch the most the biggest but the fact that you guys are all trying to help one another provide the best experience for your clients, for the people out there fishing and having a good time. Um, that really says something about all of your characters. And, and it definitely, it was cool to see, cause you were like, Hey man, this guy said they were hitting on purples today. I'm going to throw a couple on and see what happens. Um, I don't know, man. I, I feel like that's how we are between buddies. If, if a buddy tells me like one certain spot was hot, but to hear that between, competing businesses that you guys can be that like close knit and, and have that much invested in one another is just a really cool thing to hear. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate the group that I'm a part of and, uh, you know, sure, sure helps with the uh, business and, uh, you know, making sure everybody's having a good time. And, you know, I get the same reaction as you get all the time. It's like, wow, you actually talked to that boat. You know, it's like, I got no problem showing them a picture, like, you know, a boat that's 300 yards away from me when I haven't had a bite in an hour and just say, oh, that guy just caught a 32 inch, 10 pound lake trout, you know, like, you know, we could be up next. Let's, let's see if we can get our, our shot here, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it does boost everybody's spirits if you're hearing like, hey, they're they're doing really good. Like we're going to kind of make our way that direction or change one or two things up, you know, to have that inside tip. I'm sure the people on the boat fishing with you, it probably gives them another boost of confidence if they hadn't got their first bite yet or reeled in their first fish. Um, yeah. the, the other thing I really liked was uh, with it not being like everybody has their own pole in their own hand with a certain type of lure, nobody can play the, oh, well, that's because you're using that pole or that lure. I mean, you're just kind of hanging out and once a bite or once a fish hits, you go and grab it and reel it in. Uh, I've been with groups like that before where they're like, that's because my pole sucks. They blame it on the equipment. Well, in this case, you can't really. It's up to you to reel it in. Well, at the end of the day, the only thing that you're going to mess up on is actually reeling it in when the fish is already bitten. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I've got a question about how you got started, because I know you said you kind of grew up fishing there. Uh, were you doing the same type of fishing growing up or did your tactics and strategy have to change quite a bit once you went into the commercial side of things? You know, I mean, so I grew up fishing all types of fishing. My dad, you know, was a huge part of, you know, my life in the fishing world. You know, he, he always took me fishing up the North shore, steelheading in the rivers. You know, we always did trips out West fly fishing and the, you know, Alpine lakes and everything. So I've always been around fishing. Uh, but you know, once in a while, my dad would book a charter for, you know, the company that he worked for. And, uh, you know, he'd sneak me on once in a while, if he had a open slot and, you know, I remember he went with, uh, one of the old time charter captains back in the day and he was just the greatest guy in the world. You know, I always had fun on his boat and, uh, you know, he was just, uh, he was just good with me and I, I, I liked the fishing thing. And then obviously as soon as I got a job and started making money, you know, I bought my, my own boat and, uh, you know, rigged it up, uh, 17 foot Lund, you know, it was a nice fishing boat, but it was more of a walleye boat, put two downriggers on it, put a bunch of rod holders on it, bought my planer board mast and took friends and family out on my days off of work. And I mean, it's the same tactics as what I use in the smaller boat, but you know, when I got a bigger boat, I just, you're able with those tactics, you're able to add more lines to the thing. So, you know, obviously the longer I'm here, the more baits I buy and you know, like if this bait is actually working for the whole group this week, I, you know, I, I, you know, I gotta go buy that bait. You know, we kind of have the joke in the group right now is like, no more baits. You know, if I can't catch fish on, you know, the baits that I have, I'm probably not <laughs> catching fish that day. And what do you know? Next time I go to the store, I end up buying a couple baits. So that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it goes. You know, and now I just got such a surplus of baits, and I'm sure it'll keep going the, the more times I do this. Oh yeah, years I do this. Well, and as an outdoorsman of any kind, you can never have too many of anything, right? Like for me, like camo clothing or rifles or shotguns or fishing poles. I mean, all of it. Once you're, once you're hooked on something, you can never have too many tools to get the job done. And that, that makes sense though. I mean, I can only imagine how many, how many different types of bait and lures that you have and there's still more at the store to buy so absolutely and the nice thing about this stuff is you know as long as you don't lose it i mean it should last forever you know unless the paint wears off just like your hunting stuff like your camel clothes as long as you can maintain your uh you know your your body weight and size like you know that stuff should last uh, you know a fair amount of years so you buy, you buy good stuff and you take care of it and it lasts forever yeah yeah, that makes sense. I want to I want to get into a little bit of the technical side of fishing and a few things uh, that you had mentioned when we were out on the water, one of them being water temperature and how that plays almost the biggest role, if not the biggest role out there in what you're fishing with the depth that you're fishing. How have you seen that play out? And when did you really start paying attention to water temp? Um, well, when I had my 17 foot boat, I probably went a couple years where I would have to ask, you know, my buddy Parker, that's been a charter captain for a long time. Like, okay, what depth should I fish at? Cause I had no way to check the, the water temperature down in the column. So I use a thing called fish hawk, uh, technologies. It's a probe 
Uh, so it re reads surface temperature, and then I have a probe that goes on my downrigger. So when I'm, let's say I'm fishing 100 feet of water, and I drop that downrigger down to 40 feet. If it's reading like 65 degrees on the surface and down 40 feet, it's reading like, you know, below 53 degrees. I mean, that's below that number is fishable water to me. So that's where you're concentrating your baits. The thing about Duluth is that there's no natural structure in our area of the lake. You know, the structure kind of starts forming like closer to two harbors and on the north side when you start fishing like reefs and you know, rock piles and you start getting into like rocky formations under the water. Here, we just have a flat sandy bottom. I mean, it's just a, a basin that holds a lot of bait fish, holds a lot of fish, but there's no secret spot. It's about finding that temperature that the fish want to be at, marking bait and driving around until we find some active fish. Uh, you know, sometimes certain areas seem to be more active than others. So, you know, it's like, you know, I might fish one area for three, four days. And if that shuts down, I'm going to completely switch to a different kind of zone on the lake. And, you know, if I get a couple bites there, I'll turn around and grid it out a little bit, you know, and sometimes I just keep going. And if I, you know, get a bite every 20, 30 minutes, that just means I'm kind of hunting for an active fish in the area and, and just keep going, turn around at some point and work your way back. See, that is, that's just wild to me because everything that I've grown up knowing about fishing is you're, you're fishing along the weed beds, you're fishing near structure, um, wherever there's a drop off. And when we got out there and you were like, honestly, there's no like honey hole, there's no hot spot out here. We start, we start off in the morning where we caught fish the night before. And if there's not, they're not there, we move until we find them. But the fact that it's that much water and it's basically just a giant sandy bottom underneath you, it seems crazy that there's that many fish hanging out in there without any structure. Um, it, is it, I mean, I know you said when you get closer to different areas, there is more structure. Uh, how does, how does your strategy change when you do fish places like that? Uh, I mean, I don't fish there very often because I'm based out of Duluth and I run my business seven days a week out of Duluth. But, uh, you know, in the past when I've taken my smaller boats, when I've been able to be more mobile, uh, you know, you find like a reef and you get your baits like right on that reef and you might troll over it or, you know, have your baits as close to that reef as you can without, you know, worrying about losing them on a rock. Uh, you know, a lot of times those fish will be hanging like right over, uh, you know, right over or around like a rock pile or something. So it's just structure. It's the same thing as like a walleye, uh, you know, if you're out there, you're, you're looking for big breaks and, you know, they're hanging on those big breaks, you know, in the shade or, you know, just by some sort of structure. So you just kind of drive by and sometimes you got to troll over them and raise your downrigger balls up 30 feet to hit it. And then as soon as you go over, you just kind of let them down just to keep it uh, closer to that bottom. So that's what I would do uh, now if I was, you know, go fish some structure today and don't get me wrong i know i brought this up earlier but uh you know water uh, temperature and color is our structure that i'm always looking for so there's a lot of times where we're fishing out there and i'll be fishing like a line where there's like crystal clear blue water right next to muddy water and that's natural structure for fish to hang out by but it's just a color it's not like a rock or a reef or anything Man, it's, it's so fascinating to me. I love hearing, and especially in the fishing world, 
there's so many different types of fishing that you can go out and do obviously so many different species, but then to hear things like that, that I would have never thought of, you know, I didn't grow up fishing the way that you're fishing uh, today. And to think that the water color can be its own structure in a way that you can fish and find like a, a good place to find fish also where you go from clear to muddy. That's just amazing to me. Yeah, amazes me too. <laughs> I'm out there every day and sometimes I get surprised. Yeah, um, what, I don't know, I guess I could ask it like this. What's your favorite thing to fish for? Say you're not fishing with, with clients, you're, you're going out on your own. Do you have a certain fishing style that you absolutely love or a certain type of fish that's your number one go-to? I still go back to my roots. I love fly fishing. Like I said, when I grew up, my dad took me to the mountains, like in Montana, Wyoming, uh, you know, Idaho. And I just love doing the backpacking trips where I'm, we're hiking in seven days. We might not see a person the entire time. And I got an entire mountain lake to myself. And some of them are above the tree line. So you don't have any trees in the back, uh, you know, to catch on your back cast. And I mean, that's just like relaxing to me is, you know, cutthroats, rainbow trout, brown trout. That's usually what they stock uh, those lakes with. And, you know, they're good, good size, good eating size. And uh, I mean, just fly fishing, you know, I love, I love doing that uh, lake fly fishing. It was just something really relaxing about that. Yeah. Fly fishing is something that I am getting into. I did my first fly fishing trip this last year and, or sorry, this year. And we went down to the Buffalo. I got a bunch of equipment. I was all set, ready to go. And we got down there and it was the muddiest water, like borderline flood stage. And all we caught were bluegill in a, in a river that was just really well known for trout. But I got hooked. I was like, man, I can only imagine the different types of scenery that you experience when you go out fly fishing, especially out West in the mountains, like you mentioned, uh, Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Nevada, Utah, like there are so many places that you can go. And I see the videos of people, especially like the drone shots from above and it shows the mountains and then pans down and there's this dude catching fish in a lake or in a river on a fly rod. Oh man. I, I got hooked. It, it only took one weekend. It was like a two and a half day weekend that we went out and I was already hooked on it. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing. And, you know, the fun thing, I know that you uh, cover a lot of elk hunting, but, you know, a lot of the elk hunting areas that we go to are home to some of the best trout fishing, you know, rivers and lakes around. I mean, it's like if we weren't so, when we do go elk hunting, if we weren't so enamored in elk, I mean, I, I would bring my fly rod with me, but I mean, I'm sure you know how it is when you're there for elk hunting, you're there for elk hunting. It's kind of hard to break away, you know, especially when you're hunting from sun up to sundown. Oh, absolutely. Like when, when we're out there elk hunting and don't get me wrong, if, if the area that I elk hunted in had rivers, I would definitely be bringing a fly rod, especially this year. Um, I did do two different trips with a buddy and neither of them, uh, we didn't bring a fly rod with on either of them, but they had these little ice fishing rods and we would go out. Uh, one of them was a moose hunt. The other one was a mountain goat hunt. And each time we had a rod with us and we were just catching little brook trout 
way up in the mountains. I mean, the mountain goat hunt, we were probably catching brook trout at like 11,000 feet and nice. uh, just tossing like a little bumblebee out and, and reeling it back in. And it was like every time you could see 50 trout chasing after it. And I was like, oh, this would have been so much fun to fly fish. <laughs> and I mean, none of the trout were very big. I would say the biggest we were catching was like eight inches, maybe 10 inches. Yeah. I mean, we Still were way fun. up, but They're holy pretty- cow, it was a good time. And brook trout are pretty fish too. Like, you know, I can't get over those colors. Oh yeah. I, I never did. I really didn't understand fly fishing for a long time. And then I finally got a fly rod in my hand and it's definitely changed the game for me. Um, are you a catch and release fly fisherman or are you a catch to eat kind of guy? Uh, both. I mean, I love fish. So, I mean, when I'm, backpacking or doing some sort of fly fishing i mean i'm definitely trying to keep something for a meal but i'll fish all day and catch you know catch and release like i got no problem with it for me i I mean i like to throw back uh, a lot of bigger fish unless they're hooked bad you know like obviously if there's a bigger fish and it's gill hooks like i mean i'm gonna it's never gonna go to waste but uh you know catch and release is definitely important uh you know that uh, preserves our uh you know our fisheries you know and i want to be fishing you know even my industry i still think catching and releasing is a really important factor i mean today i had a charter this morning we caught and released a 28 inch walleye you know i kind of have like some general rules for uh you know size of the fish that we catch on the boat and obviously it's always up to the customer but i try to educate the people that are there that you know hey this is a healthy fish it's hooked good you know this is a good one to throw back let's take a picture you want to mount it let's get some measurements and get a replica made uh you know i just try to do do the best i can to release those big fish you know uh you know i know those big fish have already done their reproducing but they still are reproducing and it's just kind of like a respect thing to me for the lake the you know i mean that fish is old it deserves to live you know and if we throw back more bigger fish hopefully more people will catch bigger fish and if we kill every big fish there there's going to be less big fish to catch because those fish take a long time to get big yeah what do you know what like the age class is on a on a walleye that size no i'm i'm not 100 percent sure i know this is a conversation we have with uh a couple of people from the DNR once in a while. I mean, I got some guesses on lake trout, but I don't, I mean, walleye is not like a, a super common catch for me. So I just haven't really looked, looked into it. Uh, you know, I mean, if I had to throw a number out there just based off of what I've kind of heard in the past, like a 28 inch walleye could be, you know, you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years old at that point. Jeez. I mean, they, 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 from what I understand, fish, grow really fast up to a certain length and then they their growth rate slows way down so for an example like a lake trout in the first like three four years may grow up to like you know 14 15 16 inches and then the next 10 years it might only be you know 24 inches and the next 10 years after that it might only be 30 inches you know 10 years it might only grow six more inches but they get fatter yeah. So, and every fish is different. It all depends on their genetics. It all depends on, uh, you know, the strain of the type of fish. Like there's different types of lake trout out there that grow different, uh, different rates, different sizes, different shapes. Uh, you know, it, a lot of factors go into that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I guess like the age structure of fish was never something that I 
really thought about, you know, we would always go out just wanting to catch the heaviest or the longest. Um, but it'd be, it'd be very interesting to have that conversation with like a, a fisheries biologist to hear about the different ages and, and the reasons for faster or slower growth throughout their lifetime. Um, moving into hunting though, I know you had mentioned elk hunting. Uh, obviously you're kind of in a, you're in a spot that's like a sportsman's paradise. It really is. I mean, you've got everything from fishing to hunting, um, so many different types of animals, even mammals up there. People don't realize the Great Lakes region uh, has more wolves than the Yellowstone, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. There's moose up there and elk and bear and obviously deer. Uh, how'd you get into going out west to elk hunt? Uh, so growing up, uh, I said my dad took me fly fishing and I remember we always went in September. So every, almost every time we went, we'd end up running into elk hunters. Uh, I remember as a kid asking my dad, like, why don't we do that? And he's like, you know, someday we'll do it. And we just never, he never quite got into it. And uh, another captain and I, you know, we've been friends since kindergarten, you know, my, my dad took him on a couple trips with us. Uh, his name's Parker. He runs another uh, charter on Lake Superior, Superior Pursuits. Uh, and, uh, me and him just one year just said, let's do it. Like, you know, we're the only two people that we really know that I think are outdoors knowledgeable enough to go out and do what you have to do to elk hunt. You know, it's a, I think it takes a certain person to go out there and really live the rugged life. I mean, we're going out there two weeks at a time. I mean, we're living on the mountain and, with anything we can only own this stuff that we can carry. I don't think a lot of people are built to, you know, want to do that. So we started doing it. We just fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, he got, uh, his first one the year before I couldn't, couldn't make it happen for me this year or last year. Uh, I got my first one on day one, actually. I was super lucky. Kind of took a lot of the fun out, out of it, but, uh, you know, just, I don't know. It's something I want to do as long as I possibly can. Yeah. And when you go out, I mean, obviously September, that's, that's big time rut. I mean, that's when you're seeing the, or hearing the bugles, you're seeing the big herds moving the, the herd bull pushing away the satellite bulls. Um, all right. Have you been archery hunting only, or have you gone out with a rifle also? I've only been archery hunting. Okay. And, uh, what about with deer hunting? Are you, are you kind of an all-in uh, archery hunter with all big game species, or are you participating in the Orange Army up there in Duluth? I am the Orange Army. I'm not gonna lie; I've always been, I've always had a bow. I've always done, you know, archery leagues, and I've always shot my bow. I feel really comfortable with my bow, but uh, you know, with my job history, especially before uh, you know being a guide, I really didn't have much time and the one thing I always thought with bow hunting deer is it required more time to go out there and find the perfect spot and put the time in and I really didn't have that time so the elk that I shot last year was actually my first archery kill so I love deer hunting I've been deer hunting since I could you know literally even walk like my dad would bring me out there in my blaze orange onesie and sit me down and say take a nap i'll wake you up if a deer comes type of thing so i i love deer hunting and uh i love rifle hunting i love yeah. bow hunting now too so 
it's it's cool to hear because i mean i i definitely grew up as part of the orange army there in wisconsin and there's something about the i guess the atmosphere of it um the tradition of it it's out west a lot of people get really really big into archery and there's plenty of those guys uh in the in the minnesota wisconsin area also but nothing compares to rifle season i mean when you go out and every other vehicle you pass is just covered everyone in there is covered in blaze orange every gas yep. station you stop at every time you go anywhere i mean it's a bunch of everybody's going to break from lunch yeah, it, it seems like life just shuts down outside of hunting season, and I I can't I can't get past that at all. Like I could go up to Wisconsin and hunt at any point, and I still do want to come up and try to really hit the rut hard with my bow. But if I had to pick, I would always choose that nine day gun season because it's just ingrained in me at this point. Absolutely. I, I love deer hunting. Uh, you know, I, when I first went elk hunting, I remember having this conversation with my dad, like, you know, dad, I don't, I don't know what to, what to think. Like I've been deer hunting my whole life and this elk hunting got, you know, all of a sudden I kind of got bored, you know, it's like you're chasing those elk and it's a different, different animal. And then, it, you know, it's, it's a totally different scenario when you're sitting there stalking an elk versus sitting in a stand and, waiting for a deer to come to you and then the year after i had that conversation with my dad i was kind of bumming about deer hunting i got to experience like you know a real like rutting deer hunting experience like right in front of my eyes and made me fall in love with deer hunting all over again so i mean i just love any any sort of hunting you know it's like it's just you never know what's going to happen out in the woods that's going to surprise you oh yeah it I tell people that all the time. If you go out and you hunt and you really push yourself, like you try hard and you have cool encounters, success isn't only when you bring meat home. Like you can have a very successful hunt where you learn a ton and have an amazing time. Obviously the end goal is always to bring elk or, or deer or fish or grouse or whatever it is you're hunting back. But there's so much to learn, so much to experience, so many cool things to see even if you don't ever let an arrow fly or pull the trigger. Uh, would you mind sharing how your uh, first elk hunt went though? Uh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, year, was it two that you got your first elk? Uh, yeah, year two. So Jeez. year two, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of exciting, but at the same time, not crazy exciting, I guess. But uh, um, my partner and I, we, uh, we drove uh, – I don't know, it was probably 21 hours straight from Duluth after we just pulled our boats out of the water for the end of the season. And I know we got about half an hour away from our area that we had picked out on an overpass. And it was a clear night and it was like 50 degrees and slept under the stars for like five hours. It was, it was pretty cool. Just on the road, let four wheelers and trucks drive into their spots, wake us up in the morning. So drove the net last half hour to our base camp, set up base camp. As soon as we set up base camp, we're just like, well, it's 11 o'clock. We still have, you know, more than a half a day to check stuff out. Let's, you know, go up there. We went to the same area that we went to the year prior. So we were very familiar with the area. So we just wanted to walk up there and see if we saw some signs, see if we saw some elk. I mean, we, we had a 
you know, still had half a day to make something happen. So walked up there. We decided to walk up to the top of the ridge, cut, cutting across the mountain. We were using the elk trails and um, it was a really dry year last year. So we were looking around and we really weren't seeing much fresh sign. I mean, we, you know, when you're elk hunting, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, like, but you could smell them when you oh, run yeah. into a bedding area. I mean, it's, they're there. It like hits you like a freight train when you're in an area that they've been sleeping in or hanging out in. I mean, you just, you smell them and we didn't really get none of that walking through the woods. So I remember we took a break, ate a snack, drank some water, and uh, we decided to split up on this mountainside. So we're kind of side hilling. Uh, Parker is down about a hundred yards from me. I was up a hundred yards and we were just kind of walking slow, looking, looking for signs, seeing if we hear something. I mean, we were hunting, uh, but we were walking through the timber and all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking, looking for sign and I hear something in front of me and all of a sudden I look up and then there's, you know, an elk that is running down the hill. It stops, looks up at me and, you know, we're just kind of having a stare down and I'm looking at it. I see antlers. I mean, at that point, all I see is antlers because, you know, I'm super excited to even see an elk, you know, after being bummed out for a while already. Look up, see the antlers. Got time to pull out my rangefinder, range them 47 yards. And I was like, oh my God, that's like my sweet spot. Like I had a pretty good 50 yard <laughs> shot when I'm doing my archery league and stuff. Put an arrow in my bow, draw back, and it just stood there broadside. And I let the arrow fly. Saw the arrow hit the chest, uh, you know, saw the arrow sticking out of the chest and I'm like pumped. Like what just happened? Like I remember calling, calling Parker up. We sat there, found the blood, you know, we sat there for about 45 minutes, calming down and just hopefully letting it die. I remember we, uh, we tracked it for like 200 yards and lost blood. And oh my gosh. I'm sure, I'm sure you know how it's like tracking deer and growing up. Like, you know, sometimes you, you miss stuff. And, uh, I, I just remember seeing that arrow sticking in the chest and I was like, there's no way this thing isn't dead somewhere. And we start doing our grid pattern because we lost blood. Like it stopped bleeding. And my buddy ended up, ended up just stumbling on it and called me over. I got a video of my reaction, walking up to the elk and, uh, you know, just stopped bleeding, keeled over, died, and you're four miles from the truck. And that's when the work really begins, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, that is the most gut-wrenching feeling, especially when, like, when you see it hit or, or like, with rifle hunting, you hear it hit. There's an unmistakable, like, hollow thud when your round hits the chest cavity of an elk. And same with archery. I mean, if you see it enter the chest cavity it's like all right it's done like game over but they are just tough animals man and their ability to clot up and quit bleeding is unbelievable and so when you're on that high of like dude i've got a dead elk now it's time to go recover it and then you lose the blood trail oh man i don't envy anybody in that position that is one of the worst feelings that I've ever felt in the outdoors. Oh, that's terrible. And I mean, then followed up with like the greatest feeling in the world of actually finding it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I've had a couple, I've had a couple deer like that where it just dried up and it's crazy how much blood they can pump out and still live. I mean, there, there's been times where I've tracked deer. Uh, I think it was my first deer that I ever shot 
we didn't end up recovering it. I was like 13 years old and it was devastating, but we tracked that deer. It had to have been three quarters of a mile or more onto the neighbor's property. They gave us permission and it was like pool after pool after pool of blood. When I shot, it was like 25 yards. I put it right behind the shoulder. Everything looked great. And then it just dried up and we never found it. And it, it blew my mind. I was like, I feel like this deer could not have any more blood in it. You know, when you see that much on the ground, but they do, man. And they go and they go and they go. And the will to survive for a wild animal is unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's wild. You know, I've heard of stories of people find, you know, killing elk and finding broadheads like in the chest still, you know? Yeah. We, we found one uh, a couple of years ago. We were out there for second rifle season and my buddy shot one and we found a broadhead buried under the shoulder of this bull elk. And, uh, I mean, it, we lost that entire quarter. It was so green and nasty, but it was like a trad broadhead. Um, so you could tell, I mean, it had a huge cutting diameter, but man, did that, did that shoulder reek? Everything was just disgusting. It basically fell off of the elk as we were cutting. Um, and it's crazy that they just survived with that rock happening. Yeah. Yeah. And we were worried. I mean, one, we don't want to waste any meat, but also that obviously was no good. So we took a couple pictures of it just in case we got stopped by uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We could show them like, hey, this is why we didn't take that shoulder. But we also got worried, like, does that travel through the bloodstream? Is all of the meat compromised? We don't really know. Um, and from the best research that we could do, as long as the meat still smelled all right, it was probably safe to eat. And so yeah. uh, nobody got sick off of it. So, well, there you go. It still tasted good, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was your second year. And did you say Parker got one the first year you guys went out there? Yep. Dude, that's so, insane, man. Like That was our, like day six or something. So this is our first two years doing it in an area that they had like an 18% success rate. So we're maintaining 50%. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. I feel like uh, I need to come out with you next year. Uh, I don't want to bring the success rate down, but you guys obviously know what you're doing. Yeah, we're going to, uh, we got tags for Montana this year. So we're pretty excited because we actually get to finish out the fishing season versus the past two years we had to cut out two weeks early. So that'll be nice because fishing can be really good in September and then, uh, you know, all, all the way to the end of the season. And, uh, and we're heading out for the last two weeks of archery. And the nice thing about Montana is that if we can't get her done with uh, our archery tags, we, I think we take a week off and we can, you know, the tags are good for rifle season too. So we, you know, it's like, we have plenty of opportunities to make something happen with that. Yeah. That's cool. Is, do you guys have a certain, um, amount of States that you put in every year and then just whichever one you draw, you go and pick that one or how do you decide where you're going to go hunt? We don't necessarily have like a, a plan yet. So we, Idaho is over the counter. Uh, you know, the only reason we didn't do Idaho this year is because, you know, their, their draws their, their system is all randomized. And, uh, you know, me and him waited, uh, waited in line. And by the time we got in line, our couple zones that we had picked out were already sold out. So okay. we've been buying points in Wyoming and Montana 
Uh, this year we had two points in Montana, which gives us like a 76% chance of drawing just a general tag. So we decided to do that. And if that didn't work, we were just going to try to do some last minute cow hunt tags in Wyoming or something like, you know, we kind of had backup plans, but you know, I've been buying points in Wyoming and Montana. So this year I burned my points in Montana. So maybe next year I'll try Idaho again. Idaho is usually the first place to, uh, have their tags go for sale. So if we're unsuccessful there, then I'll move on to Wyoming and work our way down the list if we have to. But uh, I definitely try to plan on doing an like AL hunt every year if if I if I can get a tag. Yeah, and that's a nice thing. I mean, there's places all over the country, like Colorado. I know they have units that are over the counter uh, every year. Even when I go out for rifle season, um, it's over the counter. And I've yet to draw an elk tag. I haven't put in, like, I haven't tried to draw any better units or anything that's a little bit more difficult yet, but hopefully here soon I can cash some of my points in. Um, but now my goal is just to start branching out because I've only been putting in for, for Colorado for years. And this last year I started putting in for multiple other States. And so I'm hoping to build my points and, you know, like what you're doing. If one, one state doesn't work out, you go to a different one. If that one doesn't work out, you go to the next one. And then hopefully 10 years from now, I can actually hunt some pretty decent units with high success rates and bigger bulls. Um, and you know, make that a, make that a habit every couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, like Parker and I have the same mentality. Like, I mean, obviously we'd love to shoot, a seven by seven or, you know, a trophy bull. But I mean, if I have a, a cow or a bull tag, I'm, I'm probably like, unless it's day one, I'm probably shooting the first thing that's in front of me because I mean, I love the taste of elk venison. Like I'm doing it to, to eat at the end of the day and have a fun experience. I know oh, you talked funny. earlier about having, you know, it's more important about the experience than actually doing stuff. And that's something I have on my website, PMA, positive mental attitude, going into any hunt or fishing trip. Like you have to go in with a positive mental attitude because, you know, I feel like either a, if you go in with an open mind and look to have an experience, like you are going to have fun, whether you're successful or not, and B, you know, the animals and the fish and, you know, everything, they feel that you're excited and, you know, I mean, things work out most of the time if you go in with a good attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I've, I've been out with people hunting and fishing before where it's just like, they're down about everything. You know, they're a pessimist, like, ah, oh, it's probably not going to happen. And I'm like, even just the way you perceive what's going on will change how effective you are at being aware of your surroundings catching movement, glassing, everything. I mean, your attitude can change everything out there. And don't get me wrong. I mean, yes, you could go and kill a freak bull or an amazing buck or catch a giant fish, even if you have a bad attitude. But at the end of the day, you're not going to enjoy yourself as much. And you're probably not going to hunt as smart or fish as smart as you would if you went out there really expecting the best and hoping for the best. Exactly what's uh what's next on the list i mean obviously montana this fall do you have any other big hunts that you want to do or like bucket list things that you have yet to try you know 
obvious, I mean, this isn't happening this year or next year, but uh, hopefully soon. Uh, I'd love to go moose hunting. Uh, I mean, that's something I've always been surrounded by growing up up the North Shore. There's always been moose around, but Minnesota doesn't, doesn't offer moose hunting anymore. So I feel like that's something I'm going to have to go out west for. Otherwise, I've really you know, like a bucket list trip for me would be to go moose hunting in Alaska, like do one of those deep, like boat running type of trips, like deep wilderness. And I mean, that sounds cool to me. I've seen some shows of like meat eater, you know, like, I I don't know, you know, you know, all those outdoor shows up there. And I've seen some pretty cool terrain, how they go in there and they're spend 10 days or fly in or whatever they end up doing. I mean, that just looks so cool to me. So that's a bucket list trip for me. As far as this fall, uh, I've never really gotten into duck hunting. In the past couple of years, I've gotten a little bit more into it. So I'm, I'm hoping to do some duck or goose hunting too, like right after uh, elk hunting. And then obviously rifle season in Minnesota. I'll be hitting that for deer hunting. And, uh, you know, over the winter, I plan on checking out some ocean fishing. Like I'm, I'm trying to spend a week in... Florida, Texas, California. I got a couple of places lined up to check out fishing. I'm trying to expand my reaches, see if there's somewhere. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily want to own a boat uh, on the ocean because I think owning a boat part-time uh, and the maintenance required with a salt water vessel is a lot just personally, but uh, I'm really excited to just check out, you know, some areas for some different job opportunities to keep me busy throughout the winter. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, I I have very limited experience hunting big water of any kind. So like Lake Superior, that was that was really my first shot at fishing a big uh, one of the Great Lakes. The ocean, I've only done a couple times, but the amount of cool things that you can do in the ocean, different species that you can fish for. I mean, whether you're fishing for fish or shark, um, the fact that you can spear fish, the fact that you can like go flounder gigging. I mean, there's so many sweet things. And I think the unknown aspect of that to me is pretty cool too. Like you can go down there and get into a different thing almost every day. And that's the thing with the oceans. I mean, I heard that they have like an app to help identify fish because there's just so there's hundreds and probably even thousands of species of fish that you're actually fishing for. That's a common question I get on the boat all the time too, is like, what, what kind of fish do you catch? Well, you know, what's the weirdest fish you've caught? I was like, I can't really say we've caught any weird fish. I mean, we have six target species in our area. We have lake trout, king salmon, coho salmon, walleye, rainbow trout, and brown trout. And then, you know, you got your bait fish randomly that nobody really cares about. I mean, sometimes we catch some white fish randomly. I mean, I know a lot of people like white fish, uh, but I mean, you go from having six species to go there, go to the ocean, and you have no idea what you're reeling up unless it's a, a sailfish or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, the ocean <laughs> the ocean's a different animal for sure, man. I, I can't imagine being out, especially like when people go out to where they can't see shore anymore. That's, that's kind of crazy to me. Like I would feel so alone and probably not in a comfortable way out there. Um, but I definitely want to experience some of that. And I mean, from what I understand, a lot of like some of the big sport fishing you do similar to what you're doing up on Lake Superior. 
uh, where you're putting out a bunch of lines and you're, you're trolling, or I know in some instances they're trolling at like 30 miles an hour. Um, but you know, going for Marlin and sailfish and swordfish and things like that. Uh, but it's kind of the same type of deal, except when, when one of those fish hits, you might have a couple hundred pounder on the line. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you're fishing big water, like Lake Superior or the ocean, I mean, you're, you're hunting fish. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're searching for those active fish. Like, you know, there, don't get me wrong. There is skill involved in using the right stuff and doing the right depths and everything. But I mean, a, a big factor is, is you're, you're hunting for those active fish. And, you know, the next part is, is having the right stuff in front of those active fish. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So bucket list for hunting is moose in Alaska. I am a hundred percent on board there. That's my number one. I want to go archery moose hunting up in the Alaskan Yukon, fly in, float out, hopefully fish the river on the float, you know, yeah. a couple lines behind you and just catch your dinner each night. Uh, that sounds perfect. Yeah. What about, what about fishing? Do you have a bucket list fishing trip that you want to go on? Uh, Alaska's on that list too. Uh, you know, a couple, couple of my buddies have uh, gone up to Alaska the past couple of years. I think they're going again this year and they were catching like 50, 60 pound King salmon. And, you know, we catch King salmon on Lake Superior, but the biggest one I've heard of in the past couple of years is one guy caught one that was like 20 pounds last year. The biggest one I caught last year was like 15 pounds and that's huge. And like those Kings will take you for a ride, even on my boat. I just can't imagine catching a a 50 or 60 pound king salmon in a river on top of that so that's definitely one of my bucket list trips oh yeah how about, how about you for fishing man i really i really want to go spear fishing and i don't even know what i want to fish for uh i talked to a guy not that long ago on the podcast and he was just telling me all about spear fishing and it sounds so much fun to combine hunting and fishing. Like you are underwater actively hunting for fish. Uh, that just, it's so outside of anything I've ever done that I'm very intrigued. And I really, like I said, I don't know what kind of species I would want to go for. Uh, something really tasty, I guess. <laughs> tuna. Uh, he did tell me about a tuna trip and it was like 17 hours of actively trying to hunt for tuna with a with a spear gun uh so i don't know uh as far as like with a rod or i really want to go back to alaska so i've done two trips to alaska uh i've done the fishing deal on the ocean absolutely amazing loved every second of it um fly fishing that was i guess technically actually my first fly fishing trip but it was more of like an add-on uh the girl that we knew up there. She's like, Hey, if you guys want to go fly fishing, we can. And it was like flossing for salmon as they're running. And so you're not actually like getting them to strike. You're just hoping they catch them in the lip. Um, yeah. but I feel like fly fishing in Alaska would be awesome, but like actually fly fishing for fish that are hungry and not, and not just hoping to catch them in the right spot. Yeah. No, that, uh, you know, that, that's the, uh... I, I totally understand that. It's like the, you know, you're almost snagging when you're yeah. fishing just full runs of salmon. It's, it's a different feeling when you actually get something to bite something that you put in front of it. 
Yeah. And I want to go back up because I did find a really sweet spot. My wife and I paddle boarded out there one night. Uh, it was, or one day it was the final day there. We actually went there in the morning right before we got on the airplane. And as we were doing it, there was thousands, probably tens of thousands of salmon waiting right there off the beach in the ocean, waiting for the tide to rise so they could run up the river. And those ones, it, I bet you we didn't go like five seconds without seeing a fish jump because there were so many. And I was like, this is where we should have been coming. We should have brought our fly rods out here and actually fish for these because they are actively eating at that point. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, if I go back, which I'm hoping to this year, I've been, I've been kind of lucky to do it like every other year for the past couple and uh, this would be the year that I go again. So I'm hoping to go up there. Um, I was just informed by my buddy's wife that she is wanting to send her husband up there for his 40th. And there's a couple other guys that I know that are turning 40 this year. So I'm like, maybe we could make a big trip of it. And I'll just pretend to be 40. Uh, there you go. Any reason to get yourself invited on a trip like that is worth it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, man, I, dude, we had a ton of fun fishing with you like for real it was awesome and we came back everybody was stoked to be eating fish and uh yeah just an amazing time my my nephew he was the youngest one out there he had never experienced anything like that and he was just blown away and he, even though i've fished my whole life that's that's the first time i've ever done that type of fishing and it was it was a really really good time so i appreciate you having us out there um, absolutely sweet boat you know what you're doing and so i highly recommend uh your your outfit to anybody who's looking at fishing the great lakes angler management up in duluth go check him out uh where where else can people find you social media how do they go yeah. and book a book a fishing trip so i got uh, facebook instagram they're both the same uh name it's at angler management duluth and then uh, my website is www.anglermanagementduluth.com. And then I uh, always have tons of pictures up there. I got tons of info about fishing and Lake Superior, places to stay, recipes for your, uh, you know, your catch, uh, you know, little things for bringing the family out. Uh, my calendar system is on there. You can go on there and see which days I have open. You know, a really easy way to book uh book a trip there. I also do boat tours for you know, anybody that's not that interested in fishing, which I doubt anybody on this podcast is not interested <laughs> in fishing, but <laughs> there, there's a surprising amount of vegans that listen to this. No, I'm just oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. You've got a sweet outfit there and dude, Duluth is sweet. I can't believe that I grew up just down in Eau Claire. I had never been to Duluth. Didn't, expect that at all it is a really cool vibe in that town it's like it honestly did remind me of kodiak alaska like big water right there ton of people fishing uh it it almost had an island or like a beach feel to it the whole town did it's a super cool town i've been born and raised here and i have no interest in leaving if i leave anywhere it's going to be like january and february when it's negative 20 degrees but i, <laughs> I mean i love the season i love the snow i love ice fishing Duluth is just so cool. And the fun thing about fishing with us is like, we got the cool factor going on. We got the city on a hill. We got a really cool view of the city. We got the aerial lift bridge. We got the Duluth piers. We got big ore boats coming in and out all the time. I mean, I was fishing today and it was foggy out. I don't think I could even see an eighth of a mile away from the boat. Like maybe, maybe a football field is my vision. And 
I remember communicating with this boat, the Great Republic, and, uh, you know, he left the shore and, you know, it's like we were, I maintained my course, he maintained his course, and all of a sudden he showed up about, you know, a little more than a football field away through the fog. And, you know, it was just, it's just so cool being that close to like big ships. I mean, I got a cool picture on my website of, you know, another boat took me. It's just an awesome shot of, you know, me netting a fish with a thousand footer in the background. I mean, it's just, there's this cool stuff, you know, that happens here. Even when fishing is slow, like just seeing one of those thousand footers and feeling the rumble of the engines through the water and everything is just a, just a cool deal. I don't know if we saw any ships today that I took you out. I just pulled up the picture that, uh, you know, we had of your day. We caught nine fish and, uh, eight lake trout and one king salmon so that's a that was a good day of fishing dude that's that's awesome we did see a big ship but it was way way out we didn't see anything close up uh the day we went but yeah the whole the whole town i mean with it being on that hill one thing we we all talked about because we the hotel we stayed at was way up on top i mean it was like all the way on top of the hill Dude, how do you guys deal with that in the winter? I mean, because you guys get a decent amount of snow and ice and stuff. How does that play out when you have hills that steep that drop right into the lake? Rule number one of living in Duluth, Minnesota, is you have to have snow tires or four-wheel drive truck. If you're not going to do that, either you are stuck using very specific roads or you don't belong here. (laughs) that That makes sense, man. It was, dude, those were those roads were sketchy to me. And we were there in the middle of the summer. <laughs> I can only imagine if there was a little bit of snow on them. And I'm comfortable driving in snow, but those are some freaking steep hills, man. So for a long time, I uh, ten years I worked at FedEx before uh, doing this, and uh, I I got I definitely had to learn very quick how to navigate the terrain that we have up here. So anytime I go down south, I I, I feel almost spoiled driving in the winter, not uh, not having the hills to worry about, but. Uh, yeah, I kind of forget like the terrain that we actually live on that you know people aren't aren't used to. You know, it's kind of kind of the cool factor that uh, we still have here. Yeah, it definitely is a sweet place. And I told my wife as soon as I got done with that trip, I was like, we will be visiting there because she would absolutely love it. The food was good. Everything about the trip was just really a treat to be there. Um, I I typically give my guests a final word. And I normally call it emptying the chamber, but to keep with fishing, I'm going to call this one the final cast. (laughs) I'm going to let you share anything. I mean, it could be tip, tricks, advice, a story, a joke uh, for the listeners that you can leave them with. Uh, Well, you know, if you're interested in Lake Superior fishing, uh, you know, whether you own a boat and want to do it yourself or just want to get the family up there, you know, give me a call book a trip with me. I'll make sure to show you guys a good time. Like even if you're an avid fisherman that wants to, you know, fish more by yourself, uh, you know, I think people would be surprised like how much they learned uh, by coming with me once. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you everything I know when you're, when you're on the boat with me, you can take that information and apply it to your own stuff and take, take your, uh, take your friends and family out and hopefully be successful. So yeah, I love, I love what I do. I'm, I'm one of the younger guys around. Like I'm, I'm a guy that shows up to work every day and I, I'm excited for what I do. Like I, I love it. I, you know, I have no interest in stopping anytime soon. And, uh, you know, I think that really, uh, 
shows when people, uh, you know, people go out fishing with me. Like you saw it. I mean, we, we were able to talk that whole time, five hours. Like, I don't think we went a couple minutes without, uh, you know, not talking about something. Oh yeah. The, the fact that we could just hang out and really enjoy we, we let the equipment do the fishing for us. Obviously your expertise went into getting it all set the right way, but like we let the equipment do the fishing for us and we could just hang out and tell those stories. And I really could tell, and everybody else could as well, that you're passionate about what you do. You absolutely love it. You're not that guy who's burnt out and just going to a nine to five every day. You are in this industry because it's your passion. And, uh, that definitely came through, man. I'm, I'm excited to hear how your hunting trips go this year. I'm excited to hear more about fishing. And so we'll have to keep in touch and uh, send me some pictures over. Absolutely. And I'll uh, definitely keep in touch with you. And maybe, uh, maybe next year uh, after uh, another hunting year, we'll, uh, we'll have some more stuff to talk about. I'd love to love to be on again. Awesome, man. Alex, thanks again. And uh, everybody go check him out on social media or go and book a fishing trip with him. Uh, It's been awesome, man. Take care. Yep. You too. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I had a great time recapping all of that stuff with Alex and he is a wealth of knowledge. I mean, this guy really knows how to fish. If you're interested at all in a Lake Superior fishing trip, definitely hit him up, go check out his website or his social media platforms. And I look forward to getting back up there and fishing with Alex again. I had never been to Duluth leading up to this trip and it blew me away. I mean, it is a beautiful city. It's actually a pretty big city too. Having only lived like three, three and a half hours away from there, almost all of my life, I had no clue what was in store for me on that trip. And so make it a stop, make it a destination for a future road trip or vacation. And I promise you won't be disappointed. Uh, hopefully you guys are getting out and doing a lot of fishing though this summer. Hopefully you've got your trail cameras out, you're getting food plots in or getting them prepped because we're like right at that time where some states are probably going to be planting. Some states are maybe a week away, two weeks away. Either way, there's a lot going on. I actually got to go out and scout the property that I hunt here in Missouri and there were a ton of bucks out there. If you haven't already seen that video, I think like the, the main picture for it is my Vortex scope. And so go click on that on TikTok or Instagram if you want to see some of the bucks that are back again. I'm hoping to catch up with these deer a lot more this summer as I continue to go out there and do night scouting or I guess late afternoon scouting. And most of these deer I've got history with. There's a lot of up-and-comers. I haven't seen any, like, oddball deer or nomads, you know, the ones that don't hang out on your property but just show up here and there. Uh, So far, all of them have been either young deer that, you know, I didn't recognize from last year because they may have been button bucks or they've been bucks that have been back year after year. And so I'll keep getting out there, keep posting pictures, and hopefully you guys are doing the same because it is a lot of fun. This isn't something that I used to do. I didn't go and scout or do observations. Um, And I just kept seeing people posting videos of sitting next to a bean field and watching the deer come out. And I was like, man, why don't I go do that? I'm like 25 minutes from my hunting property. I've got all the equipment. And so I went out and I bet you I saw like 10 bucks, watched them for two hours. It was a lot of fun. And hopefully you guys have success as you get out there and do the same thing. So I'm going to let you guys go. Thanks for listening. And until next time, 
Always choose adventure and God bless.